So, welcome to the quiet storm. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I really just was wanting to hope. I just wanted to watch you flounder because <laughs> usually I start the episode. So I was I was going to do like go into a whole thing and be like, welcome to the quiet the storm. The quiet storm. Tonight on the podcast, <laughs> we're going to be making some. What, what would you do, Adam, if we spent a whole time talking like that? Smooth, sexy sounds. Oh, that was pretty good. I'm Alan uh, Dempsey. And I am Rafiq Shaheen. And with us, we have the front man from Sleeping by the Riverside, Overthrow, and another band you told me about that I forgot the name of, <laughs> Mr. Say your name. Adam Warshawski. Adam Warshawski. Thank you for being here. Yeah. It's my pleasure. I'm excited. <clears throat> I am excited. Um, so I was thinking about this, and you're going to have to like guide me on this a little because I'm sure I've got my facts way, way spiraled out of control. But I was thinking about how <laughs> I'm going to use the word pioneer with you, <laughs> and, and I don't know if that makes you uncomfortable. <laughs> But I was thinking about the timeline of hard music and hardcore and metal and all that stuff. And so if you get into hardcore punk, quote unquote, mm -hmm. you're talking early 80s, right? Yeah. Okay. So then... At least as far as what I discovered. Right. Yeah. Then you get into... I mean, I guess Minor Threat, those guys, we're still in the early 80s. Mm -hmm. But then it gets harder. You get Earth Crisis and, you know, where yeah. the sound... 90s hardcore. Yeah, 90s hardcore. And so you've got that happening out there in the world. But then somehow in St. Petersburg, Florida, there are these guys who are really plugged into that, but they're also Christians, and they help pioneer Christian hardcore. How the fuck did that happen? <laughs> what, what were the steps that led you to Christian hardcore? I guess is the well, I'm thinking, of the I'm thinking more just in terms of like it's a subset of a subset, right? It's not like it's not like Earth Crisis was Metallica, right? You know, you've got to be one of the in crowd to be a part of that, and then for there to be an in crowd within an in crowd and go. I'm going to take this hardcore sound and add my spirituality to it. Like what, tell me the story. How does that happen? So the way it felt was more like the rejected among the rejected. Okay. <laughs> so among the rejected kids in their subculture of pissed offedness was the small subsect of even more rejected kids, uh, you know, that were Christian kids who probably grew up with strict parents or in chaos, as in, you know, with my life, mm -hmm. um, where, you know, they're not allowed to listen to hard music, and then they get, you know, out of high school, or maybe they have roommates in an apartment, and now all of a sudden they have this freedom that they don't know what to do with, and they're like, oh, I'm going to listen to whatever I want. Right. You know, and so they still, you know, they're holding on to their faith, but they're just like, well, but, you know, I really love, yeah. you know, Metallica and Testament and, you know, unholy warriors, whatever they are, you know? And, and then you're like, but there's living sacrifice and the crucified and believer, and, yeah. you know, all these great bands that even like I was, I was talking to somebody earlier this week about how believer 
Oh, best. You can They're find, the best. You can find them in the thank you notes of every major metal act in that time period. Yes. Biohazard, like all the, the mega force bands from New York, they all thank Believer. They all give them respect. Believer's the best. <laughs> They're, I mean... But okay, so I love Deliverance, right? I right. think they're a great band. Mm -hmm. Deliverance was the Christian version of, right? right? Yep. Believer is a band, right? An incredible, innovative band. Mm -hmm. The Christian part of it is irrelevant. Right. They're just an amazing band. Yep. You 100%. know. Now maybe maybe the, a lot of this is me, you know, because I met you when I was like fifteen. Mm -hmm. So some of this might be just me. I was looking at you with these little hearts in my eyes because mm. you were older and cooler. And I was a I was a little attracted to you. You've tackled those boundaries, right? <laughs> but I always got the impression that you know your crew, because at the time you were in a band called Overthrow, mm -hmm. that the Overthrow crew was like, I don't know how to say it. I got into it through Believer Deliverance, right? Mm -hmm. I always felt that you guys got into it through the same means as the non, like you were in the hardcore punk lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Oh, and by the way, we're also Christians. Yeah. And it just, I, I don't know. I always had you up in this like pioneer pedestal because it was, Again, it was the underground of the underground, and just right. to see that, and you guys were good. Oh, you weren't but, shitty. Wow, <laughs> you know, Overthrow was. Oh God, you guys I, were so awesome. <laughs> as someone who unfortunately has not had the chance to listen to your music, I have to say, from a third-party perspective, it is amazing to watch you idolize a Christian band <laughs> because that's specifically <laughs> you're like you guys were like gods, man. <laughs> and like there was God, God, but then there was like you guys. <laughs> Overthrow, <laughs> dude. Every time, every time we played with Overthrow, because I was in a little shitty band at the time. It was not shitty. Well, thank you. Anytime we played with Overthrow, it was like the show got serious when Overthrow took the stage. Like everyone before that was like, oh, whatever. I was very <laughs> upset. <laughs> yeah, you were. You remember. About everything. <laughs> I, I remember. <laughs> I kind of like the description that you gave, though, because so you felt, at least in your music, that it was representing those who had been rejected out of the rejected. Yeah, because... Like, okay, so for me, I discovered punk rock through my older brother, Chris, in like 1983, 84. Okay. You know, he introduced me to uh, the, the Minutemen and um, uh, Black Flag and, you know, all the, the alternative bands, not just hard bands, but alternative bands like, like R.E.M. and U2 and In Excess and, mm -hmm. you know, like that whole thing. So, uh, but it was all stuff we weren't necessarily allowed to listen to. Whatever my mom owned on vinyl, mm -hmm. you know, she was, you know, she was allowed to listen to whatever she wanted to listen to, Christian or not, which most of it was not. But whenever we wanted to listen to something, all of a sudden Huey Lewis is the demon. Oh, wow. You know? So, yeah, I actually had a, uh, a kid that I knew in Kentucky. I lived in Kentucky for a couple years. And his mother, when he was going through a bit of a rebellious stage, they went to Mount Moriah, Church on the Hill, you know, it was two steps away from a snake handling church. Right? Ah. And she took his Huey Lewis in the news, um, like minute work and 
uh, I don't know, like a hand. Boingo, boingo. Yeah. <laughs> and took them out in the driveway and lit them on fire. And wow. he, yeah, and he ran away a few weeks later. She, Shocking. She loses in that yeah. situation. She lost, you know, because then he's going. Now all of a sudden he's got this burn to saddle about Christianity, yep. which you know has nothing to do with Christ and His grace. <laughs> right. You know, it's about her personal musical preferences and Huey Lewis singing about I want a new drug. And now all oh, of a sudden, I was right. just honestly the whole time you were talking, I was trying to think of what possibly offensive. Huey <laughs> Lewis song there could be. Oh, I mean, <laughs> what she doesn't understand is that when you light a vinyl that has hip to be square on fire, <laughs> that's the start of the ritual to summon Satan. <laughs> right. The, the vinyl just hit, imprisons hit. him until yeah. that point. It's hip <laughs> to be square is actually a is a it's a spell to keep Satan away. <laughs> All of a sudden, a salt circle appears around the burn pile, yeah. and there's this black paper ash demon that comes up out of it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So he he ran away. And, uh, you know, she, she lost him. And then he delved straight into, you know, anthrax and deicide and yeah. like all this stuff because now he's anti-Christian. Right. You there, know, there's always that thing. And like, because I grew up religious too, right? I grew this up. Is, I'm excited to have you two together because you're my Christian buddies. Right. <laughs> so like when I was a kid, I had to sleep in my mom's room just because we didn't have enough space for everybody. And my mom would watch. Uh, literal videos on the apocalypse before she went to bed. Mm, So I would listen to like 2001 Global March to Israel (laughs) with like Jack Van Empey and dudes like that, which is probably why I I tremendously love my mom and everything about her. But I (laughs) But. I know if I ever had to talk to a therapist about why I'm probably fucked up or depressed, I'm probably going to highlight those videos because mm-hmm. it's hard to really look towards the future when you're like, isn't it 1998? Isn't that doomsday about to come? Yeah, it's like, yeah. I got, should be here any moment. I got two years to live my life. Yeah, like, that, that affected me. I, I grew up in the same exact stuff. My mom was obsessed with Nostradamus and obsessed with TV preachers. So anybody who thought they had a prophecy, it was like, the Feast of Trumpets is right around the corner, fellas. Right, yeah. It is in September. You know, do make you, sure you do not own any pornography. Do you remember 88 Reasons Why Christ Will Come in 88? Do you oh, remember yeah, that? absolutely. That <laughs> guy you know came to our church. I'm sure I've heard of it before. I cannot There was a it. book written called 88 Reasons Why Christ Will come in 88 mm-hmm. he didn't show up That's and then right. in 89 he released the revised edition and number 89 was because he didn't come in 88 <laughs> <laughs> and i have a theory about this see like when you when you have like a, a surprise birthday party right if somebody blows it for the guest of honor you kind of scrap it and you're like, ah, well, we're going to do something else now because this guy just completely screwed up our, you know, surprise birthday. <laughs> so he party. was going to come in 88. He was going to come in 88. <laughs> and then this jackass way. decides he figured it out, you know, <laughs> I, and ruined the surprise. I like that because that implies that the reason why there hasn't been a grand rapture yet is because people every year go like, no, he's definitely coming this year. And he's like, would you stop? Yeah. Would you stop? Yeah. <laughs> it also like, kind of implies that God's leaving out really bad clues <laughs> that he people can easily put together. Well, I think the latest one was the Blood Moon. Oh, okay. Blood Moon. About Which is a new thing ago. that's never existed before. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, like all of a sudden the Blood Moon is what's going to bring about Christ. And it's like, eh, I don't think the, so. 
this is always the thing that I love about people because mm-hmm. like there's that moment where when you start talking about like conceptual forces like God, life, death or whatever, when like when you give them any sort of humanity, they always end up becoming someone who's just bad at their job. <laughs> and like in, the, in this context, <laughs> right, God is the guy planning a surprise party who like you can see him through the window hiding behind the couch. <laughs> You're like, oh no. Why is it so dark in here? I hope nobody surprises me on my birthday. I hope nobody comes to rapture me to heaven. <laughs> here's, here's the question. Does anybody pray over the party food? Ooh, that is a that is a that's a solid question. I know when I'm with my family, you know, again. I have faith, you know, we pray over meals, but like there is a certain bubble, I guess you would Mm -hmm. go of like extension of like, we have our faith, but we're not going to subject outsiders to this per se. Mm -hmm. So it's like, we're at a barbecue. We might pray over our food, but like (laughs) you just go ahead and dive in like that. Okay. I never... Since my lapsing, (laughs) there are so many things that I don't understand anymore that I used to do. One of them is praying over food. I don't, are are you afraid that it'll be poisoned if you don't? Like, why do we do that? I stopped praying over my food a long time ago, and here's why. Sometime, oh, nice. Mm, Uh, We're keeping that in. (laughs) Sometime around middle school, I had this realization about my omnipresent God, right? You can make legitimate requests of him. Mm-hmm. And he will grant it if you're within his will. So at that time, I was like, Jesus, please bless my food for the rest of my life. Ah, that's great. Yeah. Never have to pray again. <laughs> but, I get, but again, I think even that, why does God, didn't he create a, an engine that provides food for you? Like, why do, why do I need an extra layer of blessing on top of my apple? Why can't I just eat the apple? <laughs> so... So in my, and again, this may just be like the African perspective on this, but for us, it's not a blessing of like, we need to sacrament the food, ergo, so now it's edible. It's the like, oh, holy shit, we have food. Thank you for providing this for us. Gratitude, but like. (laughs) I had the American version of that. Right. I think gratitude is a different thing. That's. I mean, you could wake up every day. Thanks for me still being alive, God. Mm -hmm. You know, thanks for my heart beating. That's cool. So to just say, thanks, God, for the meal, fine. I never understood. Bless it to the nourishment. Like, it wouldn't nourish your... Atheists don't get nourished by their (laughs) meals. I don't know if you knew that. (laughs) 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 Because they don't say, bless it to the nourishment of my body or whatever the hell, you know? He appreciates the acknowledgement. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. I, like, if I were... Let me phrase it like this. If I were playing The Sims, right, and I provided a meal for The Sims, <laughs> and one of The Sims just randomly pointed out of the screen to me to be like, thanks, big guy, I'd be like, you're welcome. I agree. Like, no, that's that's true. What <laughs> oh. That's what I'm saying. Showing gratitude to God, I get. 
What I don't get is the weird request that we put on top of the meal. Bless the... Why? Isn't yeah. it good by itself? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what, what more do I need on my burger? Right. Uh, this burger please, doesn't taste like it has any blessing on it. Please remove all impurities. <laughs> yeah. And then you get food poisoning. You're like, where is your, where God, is your now? God now? Exactly. So I always find... And again, this may just be me being me, but there's always a moment where people will go, like, where is your God now? or like when you're talking to somebody who's atheist go like well why does God let there be evil things in the world and I go we're talking about an omniscient omnipresent being who the fuck am I to say yeah. like he should or should this is like if you if you're looking at ants and you go I need to remove all the ants from my lawn in order to not be bitten the fuck up Right, and then you spray them. The ants not looking at you, going like, "How dare you bring this evil into our world?" You know what I mean? Like the ant has no consciousness of good or bad. Right. You know, because we deign ourselves to be more intelligent. So here's we, here's yeah. my question, and I really want answers from you guys. Is there? We talk about God is good. God is love. God is that not? a moral standard that God must meet. Uh, he's mean, not obligated to yeah. meet anything. Okay. The thing is... So he chooses to be good. Well, he just is by nature. And our, so what our, is good? Our freedom by nature means that sin exists. Okay. I got that. But if we're saying, if we're assuming that God always works toward good... Is that not insinuating then that there is a moral standard that he is trying to meet that is kind of outside of him? See, but I I understand what you're saying, but part of me goes the moral standard that he's trying to meet in this hypothetical situation is himself. Okay. It's the it's in my it's in my nature to no longer flood the earth and kill the non-believer. Right. So, so then I'm kind of hitting that <laughs> out of the park every day. I decide not to do that. But should I choose to do that, I'm also hitting the standard that I've set of like, no, fuck these guys. They need to be punished for being non-believers. So then God has a nature outside of himself that he must obey. No, I think this is where I get twisted up with all this. Kind of, which is, I fully understand that I'm the guy full of shit in the room right now. The problem <laughs> is that people love complicated answers when a lot of the times the answer is super simple and sure. You know, yeah, if you overthink it, then you get twisted up in your human stop signs. You know? Sure, I agree. You know, and on the reverse side of that, though, there is also something to be said for Alan's position of a lot of times when people go, well, don't think about that. And it's like, no, this is worthy of <laughs> yeah, being thought isn't, about. Isn't <laughs> God <laughs> big enough to answer this question that I have yeah. about nature and da da da? So, and I can, and again, this is just me from my perspective because I look at myself and I go, I have my faith. I am a Christian. I believe these things. I also go, I am not a good, I'm probably the worst example of this, you know, be, of being a Christian in my own take on it. But I go, the intrinsic nature of who God is or who God is supposed to be, if you're going to take this from a non-believer standpoint, is that by definition, he is correct. So if he chooses to, again, burn down the village and slay all the children but leave all the adults alive so they can mourn their children, 
that's equally as good as him saving the village and not doing so because the more So he supersedes good and evil. Yes. Okay. He has been, I'll he, take that answer over God is always good. Right. Well, because it's like the the nature of what we define as good and evil does not encompass everything. Sure. And we're talking about a being that is theoretically, you know, omnipresent um like omniscient. So, it's that it's that thing of like when you get to a certain point in like universe theory where I go multiple universes, right? I go if that is true at a certain point in time, technically infinite doesn't mean what we think it means and it does mean what it means, but because of the nature of of it, if you had a multiverse, you would have an infinite number of universes where the only difference between universe A and universe B is one atom decided to move left instead of right. And when you're talking about an omniscient being or an omnipresent being, it's like for me to try and interpret that, the guy who barely understands human math, <laughs> right. I go, right. I'm not the best candidate to understand sure. this. I will try my best, but as far as I can tell, it's beyond me. Yeah. And he knows what he created. And as an omniscient God, he can spin all those plates as an omniscient God and not have a problem with it. But that's outside of our sure thinking capability. But I think his heart is in our authentic searching and trying. Say that again. His heart is in our sincere searching and trying. What does that mean? So like, if you're like Alan's questions about God, even though Alan has deep questions about God and lots of doubt and, you know, has stepped out of that circle mm -hmm. for quite a while, right? It's the searching that's authentically looking for an answer because why do you care? Because deep down you kind of care oh, and sure. love whatever it is that gave you a chance at life. Yeah. And got you got to, yeah, you have probably an equal measure of horrible experiences versus good experiences. But for the good experiences, you know, you appreciate those. And for the bad experiences, it helps you to enjoy the good experiences even more. Sure. So I think that, you know, it's deep down, everybody wants to acknowledge the fact that something outside of us split our molecules. Yeah. You know? Sure. Uh, we want to hope that whether it's intelligent or not. Death. Yeah. And, and the chances are, I mean, now that we know how many suns there are out there and mm -hmm. the chance of a planet being about as far away from its sun as we are yeah. that can maintain life, you know, and that's assuming that it has to be within those categories um, because they've found life on hotter and colder planets. Right. It's just microbial. Yeah. It's just different from us. Right. We, we have to acknowledge the fact that there has to be something different from us. To just, for somebody to just say, there's no aliens or there is no God is so, like, egotistical. Oh, it's I agree. So typically human I won't, and egotistical. Whatever I have become, I, I will not own the word atheist. Because there's a certainty in that that I do not have. Correct. You know, I will say, <clears throat> this has been my position since I was like 28, so for a little while now. Show me the wounds. That's my position. You know, you, the two of you probably had the same experience. We grew up hearing about doubting Thomas and in church, he was always treated like a villain. 
Like he had done something mm-hmm. horrible. And even as a kid, I was like, what did he do that was so bad? <laughs> like Jesus walks in the room and he's like, dude, the guy I know died. That's not the guy. And what's Jesus' response? Does he condemn him? Does he send him to hell? He goes, come on over, touch the wounds. Mm-hmm. Gives him the proof. That's all I'm waiting for. Show me my burning bush. Let me put my finger in the wounds. I'm in. I'm ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but just, you know, I, I think, I, you know, I was pretty faithful for a long time. <laughs> and if, if one of your inner 12 didn't believe it and you mm-hmm. let him touch the wounds, I think, I don't think it's a big ask. <laughs> Let me but, put my finger in there. But does it mean anything <clears throat> to you that Thomas eventually died for that? He was martyred. I, yes, because I think that was his moment. He was like, I'm not buying this. That I am Thomas in this analogy. Right. Meaning, if fucking these blinds opened up right now and inexcusably, we all three had it on our camera phones, mm-hmm. we all had the exact same experiences, God's face showed up and said, Alan... Here I am. Right. I'd be like, I'm in. I'm devoted. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> I know what the rest of my life's about now. Sure. Let's do it. But where's you know? the faith in that? Here's my problem with that. <laughs> I think that's a modern construct. I think we have started to value this idea of faith above all else. Moses didn't have faith. God hung out with Moses. True. Adam and Eve didn't have faith. <laughs> Abraham didn't have faith. Suddenly, in the modern era, when there's all these ways to question it, now faith above evidence is this valuable thing. I, I don't buy that. I will. So I will say a couple things. One, uh, thank you all for tuning in to the <laughs> yeah, theology the hilarious. podcast. So uh, we will be getting to that. Right. The fart jokes are coming, folks. Uh, but two, in the context of what you're talking about, I do believe that like Abraham did have faith. Abraham sent his son to be sacrificed, and he was like, at, "This ain't gonna happen." But if it does, it does. Like at the behest of a God who showed up. He didn't rely on a 2,000-year-old text with spurious origins. God appeared in front of him and said, kill your son. And and the God that you guys are talking about that is over good and evil, he was like, okay, God that's bigger than me, I guess I'll go kill my son now. So, I mean, that's... So here's kind of the thing when you... You know, it's a that Lewis Black joke where he's like, you know we as Christians came in and we're like, your book is old. Our book is new. Uh, when we're talking about like God, where he's like, he really relaxed after having the kid. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, but there, like, there is a certain thing though, where you can look at it from, you know, the point of Jesus going forward where Jesus, you know, it could legitimately just be God being like, look, I've been showing up to you people for like, a couple thousand sure. years now, and sometimes you guys do it, and then there's fucking Sodom and Gomorrah. Sure. So I'm just going to stop showing up in that classical sense. Right. It's, you know? it's Christ that holds back God's wrath. Okay. It's, Christ is the grace aspect of his personality. Yeah. Okay. 
And so there's a whole thing that you can point to there where, like, so, from that point okay. forward, it's asking you to do more of a, look, just, like, guess what? We've done this before. Just have faith that it's going to happen again. Because if we keep on having to go through this cycle, things aren't going to change in the way that they're supposed to. Yeah, it's like, I, grow up, this is no longer a circus act. You know. Sure, I, I don't disagree with anything that the two of you are saying. What I'm saying is, I just, I just find it a little convenient that now, for the sake of argument, Jesus absolutely rose from the grave, it absolutely happened. There's no faith there. The guy that died three days ago walked in the door. You know what I mean? So the same God who had a burning bush and part of the Red Sea and brought Jesus back to life, now he expects me in the age of YouTube to rely on this book that we can't even agree who wrote. Sure. But you know you what I mean? Do you believe in evolution? Don't. I know where you're going with that. And <laughs> well, don't. No, no, I bet you don't. <laughs> okay, go. Okay. So I think that he expected us to grow. I think that, that the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, was our growth. I think that was having to be shown. This is, this is the beginnings of the people. They have to. It's like a little kid. You know, it's like when they're two, you've got to put the blocks in order for it to make for the alphabet. Okay, sure. Sense. Then they get older as, you know, we've grown knowledge has spread throughout humanity over 5,000 years. And then he's like, okay, now I expect more of you. I'm going to send you a grace package, you know, and I want you to that take makes it sense. from there. I do believe in the, uh, the, I'm trying to think of a better word than grow because you already said grow. But I do believe in the, the, the civilization, the idea of like infancy, teenage years. You know, if you look at the human, you don't develop abstract thought until you're like 14 or something like that. So I would say Jesus is like civilization at 14. It, it's, it's, you know, okay, it's easy not to murder people. It's hard not to lust after your friend's wife. Right. You know, it, it, and I don't even think that Jesus was giving you more commandments. I think he was challenging. You know, yeah, it's real easy to follow those Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. You can not steal and not kill, but do you really, really want to fuck your friend's wife? And will you do it if you get the chance? You know what I mean? Like it, and I don't even think he's he's like condemning you for being attracted to her. I think he's challenging you to become a fifteen-year-old or a seventeen, you know, whatever. Right. I do agree with that completely. So to talk about this in a circular context, uh, have you ever read Terry Pratchett's uh, Round World? Well, Not that one, no. So the science of Discworld and the science of Round World are fantastic because they introduce this concept that I love called lies to children. And it's how humans essentially explain things over the course of understanding. When you are a child, you go, why is the sky blue? And somebody goes, well... <clears throat> The sky is blue because of water. And you go, okay. And then you get a little older and you're like, why is the sky blue? And it's like, well, light bounces off the surface of the ocean, which then projects this color scheme on the sky, and that's why it's blue. And then you get a little older and someone goes, well, technically it's light comes from outside from the sun and hits our atmosphere, which then refracts off the water, which then gets interpreted by our brains through other water 
molecules in the sky as blue, and then you become an adult, and someone goes, there's cosmic radiation that's <laughs> bouncing off the surface of water because the human eye developed in a certain way to understand patterns, and so essentially the energy radiation coming from a celestial body is interpreted by your brain as the color blue because it's the lowest energy aspect of the spectrum. And again, in the book, it's saying it's not necessarily wrong to tell a child the sky because is the water's blue, blue. Right. It's, it's just it's, they can't right. grasp the rest of it. And at a certain point in time, biblically, you know, when you hit the point of Jesus, it is... You know, to your credit, it's the, we've covered this. Right. I'm sorry you weren't here in class when that happened, Alan. (laughs) (laughs) But (laughs) we're going to move on to this next chapter. I'm out. So where's chapter three? So where's chapter three is when you get to the Bible, right? Jesus is born, you know, at least in this context. It is, here's the Old Testament. We get to the New Testament, which is like the new learning. Teenage years. Right? It's the, hey, you understand this? From here going forward, you've graduated college, and now it's on to you to kind of go out and understand and try to expand your knowledge on this because you have to take the lessons you've previously learned on faith. Do you think... I have a feeling I'm going to get, I think I know your answer, Adam. Do you think that in the context of what you're both saying, is God trying to get you to the point where you don't need him anymore to get you to adulthood? So according to the Eastern Christian Orthodox church, they believe that we will all reach a deity level, whether it's small D or big D, I don't Mm -hmm. know, but it's according to, I mean, and they were, you know, they were the ones that they were the foundation of most of the churches in Asia and in Europe. But, you know, th- there's been multiple translations since then. So, uh, you know, Protestants, for the most part, don't necessarily believe that, although we do believe that we can take on the mind of Christ. You know, sure. if you, you know you're not, you're probably never going to be sinless. It's, it's probably an impossible human goal to be sinless but through christ's grace you achieve that but i think that um your growth um oh i stalled out i just your I growth just jumped out eastern, of the airplane i got nobody to pull eastern the shoot. deity small d big d mm-hmm. we're gonna we're, i'm getting you back okay so <laughs> uh yeah so the they believe that you as you move on and as you know what where christ wants to bring us is to be like a brother to him, you know, like okay. not like necessarily. To ha- the, you don't want Mormons. worshipers, right? Exactly. Yeah. We're always to lay the crown at Christ's feet, but you know, like the, you'll there's subsects of Christianity, like the the Mormons, who actually believe that you're going to become a deity, right? You know, or I don't remember. I don't think JWs believe that, like Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm not sure if they do or not, but. I, you know, to be honest, I don't really know where it goes from there because it doesn't talk specifically about that in the Bible. It's more or less just our putting the puzzle together. So, so, to, so either, I want your answer, but just piggybacking on what you said. So it's almost like either humanity 
if we're assuming that it's not just his believers, but for all of us, right? And that's my assumption. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But either it's God is trying to get all of his children to this deity point, and then we move on from there, or you have to have an apocalypse. <laughs> you know, like you you have to have an end point where everybody dies and then either goes to heaven or like there's one of those two has to be the solution to that, right? Yeah, and again, I think it's in the searching and the trying. You know, I don't think that that's actually going to happen. I think that that's the goal we shoot for. Okay. But I think that, you know, I was always taught at least that once you go to heaven, that's when you ultimately take on the mind of Christ, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so what was your answer? So, I mean, my answer is I, I'm, I'm not going to say the same. What I was actually, let me do this first before I give my answer, just because I hit a metaphor while he was talking that I feel like you would better oh, I'm agree like with. This, this is going to be something. I, I go, what we're talking about is Batman. Just, I can't just, wait for this. Get, just give me a second. All right. it, it, I got tired as soon as you said Batman. <laughs> just get, so I'm, I'm, I'm here. All right. So what we're talking about is we have the original, right? The end point that we're all trying to essentially aspire to. And then we have the son, which is, in this case, Dick Grayson. Okay. Everyone who comes afterwards is attempting to aspire to become that person, to become of that level because they are considered the best of the children of this individual. Okay. So Adam, Adam's got the impressed face. He's like, yeah, that's it. I'm kind of liking it. So, so, on, so here's- on a contextual level, right, we as people are all – in training to We're become, all Tim Drake trying to become Dick Grayson. Right. Okay. And whether or not we achieve that, whether or not we go off to become our own thing or what, is not necessarily up to us to decide because the goal that we're trying to hit, at least in the context of this conversation, would be some level in which people go, it doesn't matter or I should say, uh, context in which a larger at least you're trying observer. to be Dick Grayson, right? Is that what I'm hearing? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So, what you need to do tonight is start outlining your book called <laughs> the, the Theology of Batman, <laughs> and then uh, it, you can get this fucker on Kindle real fast. <laughs> You don't even need to proofread it. There, it'll be right next to some weird dinosaur erotica. It'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> Everything will be great. So, I mean, this has always been my thing. Is like, as somebody who, I have my faith, but I don't, I don't push it on other people because there's a lot of it where I go. People aren't people who want to embrace this concept are always going to do so for an emotional reason Mm. as opposed to a logical reason, which for me is oddly both how I came to solidify my beliefs in it and are contrary to how I solidified my beliefs in it. Because literally around like 13 or 14, I sat down and I looked, I was, was, I was at that phase that everyone who is religious kind of hits where they go like, do I really believe in this? Or this is just like mom talking. Yeah. And what happened for me is I sat down and I do it probably every 10 years since to be like, do I, re- do I believe in this thing? And I sat down and I went through all the religions that I knew. I went through Norse beliefs, uh, Greek beliefs, Shintoism, you know, 
Buddhism, uh, Rastafarianism, and a bunch of others. And I just went like, does this make sense to me? David Koresh, you went and hung out with him for a while. No, this guy has to say. It, it was literally just like, do I under, like, d- is this something that makes sense to me? Mm. And the only thing that hit me that made sense was Christianity because the idea of polytheism doesn't make sense to me in the context of when you get a group of people together in a room to design a project, it is always chaotic and it never achieves what it's supposed to achieve. Mm. And when I, so I had to be like, all right, all that goes out the window, right? This means Norse religions don't make any sense because if somebody's going like, well, we're all trying to go towards Ragnarok, I go, you would definitely never achieve Ragnarok. You would you would have there's no there's no mighty battle to fall in. Yeah, you would definitely have somebody who would eventually go like, yeah, but Ragnarok sounds boring. What if we had like fire instead and instead of so you're saying there would be too much infighting among the deities to get anything done, right? (laughs) So it's the bureaucracy of of polytheism that you don't like, and it would just get locked in committee for all eternity. Yeah, people, oh, that's great. People would go, we have so to design. So now we have an idea for your second book. <laughs> it's about a bunch of gods who can't get anything done. Right. <laughs> well, because think about it. Like, just imagine, um, uh, like, just thinking of the government, the human governments of the world. Imagine you ask the U.S. as a committee to design a human being. Oh, God. People would be <laughs> sitting around forever being like, he, he should have no assholes. <laughs> and then people would be like, well, well... then how will he process his food? Right, and then people would be like, well, go ahead and submit a request to the design committee for assholes <laughs> to design a, a waste processing unit. And then somebody would go, well, we can't do that because we got to submit a budget request from this organization to see if we even have the money to make this request <laughs> to the agency that designs sphincters because we know we need a sphincter in order I, for it to be an asshole. And then I, someone would go, well, are we sure an asshole needs a sphincter? And I go, nothing's I, getting done. I, I think I have a title for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and even then, even when they finally do settle on, on having an anus, yeah. right? Then they have to decide, well, half the people don't want it to be able to process meat. Right. And the other half wanted to process everything oh, in, yeah. in a Good point. omnivore manner. Right. And even the and the problem beyond that though is even once you designed the human, it would be like twenty years past and they'd be like, But we have all new technology <laughs> for the human. So now we have to design a new one. Two point Right. We we'll invent like twenty of these humans, but then we gotta make a whole new batch to keep up with the fact that like we are vastly technologically inferior now. And it's like, you're still light years ahead of everybody else. Just make a person and be done. No, it's gotta be the best. And I go, that's why polytheism doesn't work (laughs) for me. It's because I go, not gonna happen. But then when you look at religions like Shintoism and stuff like that, I go, the core concept of we are these beings that are experiencing life and evolving through them and becoming greater and changing makes sense until you hit the reincarnation stage because it's like we're all supposed to be working towards nirvana you know that deific moment that we're talking about that's also similar in christianity but the problem with 
those religions, at least to me, as I go, there's no point where even if you remember things from your past life, the experiences are that way for everybody. So, Alan, you're going to go through 99 cycles in order to hit Nirvana, but guess what? On your 98th cycle, I'm going through my 73rd cycle, and I'm going to pull you back down to cycle number mm-hmm. two because I'm going to come in and I'm going to hit your dog with my car, and that's going to make you lose your shit and kill a dude. So I go, it's a cycle that has no solution. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean anything. And that's when Alan you know? becomes a roach. Well, right, exactly, and that's his punishment because he. I'm. I'm snaps I mean, and kills I'm not that. Like, I'm not that far as it is. So let's not <laughs> let's not worry about that. So and so I go from a logic again from a logical standpoint. I go so I go all that's got to be left is monotheism, right? And I'm sure there are other religions that I just don't know about. But I go, it's monotheistic, and I go. Out of all the monotheistic religions that I've seen, Christianity makes the most logical sense of there is a being that <gasps> what came before. Can I tell you about my favorite cult? <laughs> I'm sorry. Talking, I'm I, sorry. I just you just reminded me of something. Are we talk, okay? Is it the Jared Leto cult or is it? No, the, I don't know a lot about them yet. Okay, we we have to talk about that. <laughs> my favorite cult. I'm sure you're aware of the Moonies. Remember the Moonies? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Canada? Yeah. So his kid, so Mooney, whatever that guy's name was, he's dead now. Kyle Mooney. Kyle. Okay. So I'm his kid, uh, is it really? I was on board. <laughs> I was ready to go. Yeah. Kyle Mooney. That sounds right. Um, so his kids now. And his brother, Paul. <laughs> his. <laughs> that was good. Uh, his kids have created their own branches, and they both claim to be the real descendant you know he was i don't i don't think mooney was jesus he was like just under jesus or something and now these guys are just under mooney who was just under jesus whatever so they've each got their own branch and of course there's weird culty shit going on so one of them is like obsessed (laughs) with like uh i guess eventually there's gonna be a war Mm -hmm. so all of his his followers carry guns like everywhere Mm. like when they go to their weddings they're all sitting in nice suits and dresses holding like semi-automatic weapons and the bridesmaids are all i mean and these women are goddesses you got these 12s in these nightgowns smiling holding fucking (laughs) semi-automatic weapons so then this dude the guy who runs it you know he does like weekly podcasts like on youtube and I swear to God, this happened. This is not at all exaggerating. He sits, and on his desk is a big semi-automatic rifle, and he wears a crown made of bullets, okay? And I swear to you, there's footage of him laughing. You know, like, when you're so right, you laugh at the guy who's wrong. Like, oh, yeah, I come from a monkey. Like, that guy, he goes, look, I'm not some guy sitting here with a crown made of bullets and a semi-automatic rifle on my desk. He literally just describes exactly what's happening. And goes, I'm not just some guy doing that. Oh, my God. They're my favorite cult. I love them. What, what are they called? I can't remember. It's but it, Oh, and then, shockingly, You'll be very surprised to find out that his family produces semi-automatic weapons. How interesting. <laughs> this so this is a weird statement, but like I 
I unironically like cults because there's <laughs> there's part of me that goes if I didn't have the scruples that I had. Oh, I'd be a cult leader right? tomorrow. Because I go, it is so weird that you could easily find like a mass of people gullible enough. Be, and I'll say all the right lines. Oh, you guys are in the right. You're the real believers. You know the truth for understanding me. That's why we're in this together. Without the rest of your family, we're a family now. That's why you should let me fuck your wife. <laughs> you know, bring the twelves to me to be purified by the presence of my penis. <laughs> like, and it's one of those things where it's like, man, if I didn't have any scruples, I go like, that's the way to live life. <laughs> that's your spin. That's your spin on the globe. <laughs> I uh, you gotta watch uh, HBO had the documentary. Is it the Heaven's Gate? Were those the guys who castrated themselves? I think so. Is that yeah. what they're called? Or the Nikes and had yeah. chain bus yeah. bus fare in their pocket. They have a whole like four or five episode documentary just about that cult. Yeah, the way they started is so hilarious. These two people, they didn't have followers. It was two people in the seventies who just got in a car and went from state to state and like rented out you know like hotel conference rooms got in front of other adults and said, guess what? We're aliens and we're all going to go to heaven in a spaceship. And people went, yeah, these guys make sense. (laughs) It's just unbelievable. Yeah. You know, in Savannah, Georgia, there's an oddities store and they have a whole upstairs dedicated to serial killers and cults. Oh, fun. It's amazing. Right. I, we spent an hour just in the upstairs part of this place. And uh, they they have a whole Heaven's Gate corner. Okay. And you gotta go because it has Savannah. actual artif- Yeah, it has actual artifacts. Um, I'll send you the name of the place. It's not coming to mind right now, but I'll send it all to you later. Yeah, sounds um, cool. But yeah, they have every cult that's been in America that you know, like uh, Bob, what's his face that took everybody to Bob Bolivia? Jones. Yeah. yeah, and. Um, I almost said Tom Jones. <laughs> it's not, not a new I, I love the fact that we all went that way. To start a cult with anyone. Yeah. <laughs> it's not unusual to be killed by everyone. Oh, sing it, boy. I didn't know you could sing. All I knew you could do is just scream. Oh, I sent. So this guy, you heard our last episode. Uh, 18 years it had been. Um, the band reunites for Furnace Fest. After 18 years of silence, um, they played with Norma Jean. It was a fucking amazing show. By the way, oh, my God, I just remembered. Did you send them the songs in advance? No. Why? Because the lights were synced up to the music. Really? Yeah. So, like, whenever, whenever there was, like, a fast part, the lights would start flashing. Or, 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 like, if the song, maybe it was all in my mind. Maybe I was, like overwhelmed by how excited I was, but it was like, it seemed like when the song stopped, the lights would dim or if the song got louder, the lights would get brighter. It was weird. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a system that anticipates, you know, that type of thing. Cause they had a very, Oh like, yeah. Top it was notch. A- We're supposed to be getting a, the video footage from that. Nice. And as they're filming the performances, they have four, it was either four or six cameras permanently mounted around. And a guy would just switch angles from his spot and it looked like an MTV music video. Yeah, nice. if you watched it from the bar, there were screens above the bar, and straight up, there was like a camera on the drummer, a camera on this guitarist, a camera on that guitar, and it was like, and whoever there was somebody in a booth 
going, all right, we're now on guitars. And like, and kind of following, oh, this seems like a very guitar heavy part. So Adam would like disappear from the screen and it would stay on the guitarist or it would stay. It was really fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, I can't wait. So to anyway, it. I took a, a little footage of um, my favorite line in one of your songs. You lost me between God and damn. I mm -hmm. took I, I filmed you guys playing that and I sent it to my buddy and he doesn't know sleeping by the riverside. And he just writes back. Oh, my God. Is that overthrow? No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I go and I start laughing. I'm like, well, why do you ask? He goes, because that dude looks exactly the same. What? <laughs> yeah. He remembered you from before sleeping by the riverside when you were in overthrow. Not Brian. Was it Brian? It was our other friend. Okay. It was because Brian already knew about sleeping and I, I had sent him a bunch of videos and stuff. But um, it was a guy named Chris. I don't even remember when he would have seen you in overthrow, but he, uh, there was like no pause between the video and his response. It was like immediately he just assumed that that was overthrow, <laughs> nice. which was so cool. So I got to ask you uh, this question because as somebody who I love music, I am not this motherfucker right here where I have a encyclopedic knowledge of oh, music. I don't know about that. I, I am very much so in the, like, I learned three to four instruments as a child wow. to round out, like, my cultural education, and I have retained none of that knowledge. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, oh, man. Like, this is the thing I always love. Great example of how ridiculous but varied my skills are. I can play the steel drums. Okay. I can still remember how to play the steel drums. I need to see this. You know how many times you run into somebody with steel drums? Uh, never. <laughs> you will never be at a party going like, oh, man, don't worry. I got this. He's got steel drums in the corner. Time to liven this the <laughs> fuck up. <laughs> like, <All right>. <laughs> so... After this recording, you have to start your The Theology of Batman book. You have to start your The Theology of Sphincters book. And you have to buy some steel drums. That's what I got from today. So, so that's the part of the reason why I don't actually I, like retain. So I still remember how to play. So I what was your question? You had a question. My, my question was, I am trying to get back into music. I've considered either doing guitar or piano. Uh, just because one of the things you do do before you start playing steel drums is you actually do a lot of like piano theory because part of the way you have to, they're very delicate instruments. It's bad enough when you hit like a regular kit and you can knock something out, you know, but like with steel drums, you can literally, if you're playing too hard, dent it and change the entire sound of every note. Wow. So it's like, I hit F sharp too hard on this drum, and now everything's going to sound like shit. Hmm. Like, everything has just taken a step down. My point is, or what the question I was going to ask is, as somebody who has fronted several bands, what would you recommend as, like, the beginner's beginner's instrument? Oh, piano, for sure. You, yeah. th you think you learn that and that's it for everything going forward? Or? Well, if you think about it, you can tune a guitar, a bass, and a violin to a piano. Okay. You know, as long as the piano's in key, you know. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, I've heard tons of people, like professionals that have been playing music for decades and decades, always say, if you're going to start, start on piano. Okay. Because, like, I'm, I'm doing this thing where, like, I picked... I picked seven goals to master recently. 
right? Because I, I heard this thing about intrinsic and entrance, uh, extrinsic motivation where it's like, if you trip, like picking a goal to master tremendously increases your ability to like grow as a person because typically people kind of like people treat like education like a buffet. Mm-hmm. I'm going to learn a little of this, going to learn a little of that. And because they do that, they don't fully understand anything. It's the jack of all trades, master of none. Right. Right. So, but by establishing, I am going to learn how to water polo, you will master that. And then you therefore pick up other skills in that same wheelhouse, but those skills are more valuable and more in depth than if you had just been like, I'm going to go work out, whatever the fuck that means. You know what I mean? Like, does working out mean running? Does it mean lifting weights? Does it mean doing, you know? So one of the two skills that I picked was like, I picked four artistic skills, uh, like three physical skills and then like two intellectual skills and one of them was like learn like master a musical instrument mm-hmm. so i guess it's going to be piano right <laughs> that's the way to go yeah. you play just about every style of music on it too you know right and so that was you know as like you're saying you know i hadn't really pieced that idea together because again when you first learn how to play steel drums they do start you off on a keyboard and I had never really, I thought the reason why is because like, at least the instructor had told me, it's like, well, we need you to learn how to balance pressure when you strike a note. So, because again, it's like this, in, this one drum costs about five to $900. And if you accidentally hit this too hard while you're practicing, you've just thrown away a thousand bucks. So you're like, saying the one that I picked up for 10 bucks at a garage sale is probably not in tune. It is probably, no, probably not, not in tune. Yes. Probably not. I got a question for you, Adam, and I'm not even sure if I can ask it properly. Um, so you're in this band overthrow that dissolves. You go to this band sleeping by the riverside. That one gets some, you get some heat behind that one. You had a release yeah. and Warner brothers, uh, a and R department got a hold of us at one point. Yeah. But then nice. they got a hold of my lyrics and they were just like, yeah, <laughs> but there were, I mean, I remember, uh, around the time you guys had released that album, I went to school in Tennessee and I pulled up next to a car and there was a sleeping by the riverside sticker on the car next to me in a parking lot. Oh, wow. Yeah, so like, and of course it was a Christian school and Christian kids. I mean, it was obviously, there was some insulation there, but still like, holy shit, that's my buddy Adam's band, you know? So, but then it didn't go to Warner Brothers, obviously. Right. But, you know, I'm in Alabama and I'm watching the crowd and there are definitely people in the room who know the songs Mm -hmm. and know the lyrics. You know, there's there's some heat there. There's some memories of this band. Mm Where do you see yourself? So that from there you went to this other band you told me about and I forgot the name of it. Oh, you can find one song oh. of on YouTube, Skyway on Fire. Skyway on members Fire. Members of Chalice, Under Oath, and Blood Donor in it. Jesus, I need to hear that. It's, that sounds awesome. I to be <laughs> honest, you know, I've always loved Riverside stuff. Yeah. Even though um, you know, it to me, like because we play in B flat, we don't play in drop D. It didn't have the same crazy mind-blowing punch during yeah. the breakdowns that's you know bands like Norma Jean or Disciple right. had, right? So that kind of always irritated me because those bands were my favorite bands. I would have loved to have played 
in that type of hardcore band. But the one that developed, the one that I, you know, happened to be in mm. was playing in B flat, which is kind of like post hardcore. Um, Definitely post hardcore. Flavors of Sunny Day Real Estate and, you know, did, other other bands. Did you ever find yourself pushing to become that? Or was that a, we've found our rhythm here, let's stay here? The people who actually knew what they were doing in the <laughs> band, which was everybody but me, had your had that view. Okay. My view, about every six months at a band meeting, I'd be like, hey, guys, how about, how about better breakdowns? How about that, yeah. you know? But I mean, there are, there are, it's kind of like, um, there are a handful of bands out there where you just stand and watch, Yeah, you know, and they could be super heavy and occasionally you'll see kids, you know, lose their minds and start dancing and going crazy. But for the most part, they're just like, okay, I'm just going to witness this. Yeah. Right. And I think we, over and over again, we got told by, you know, people, people that we respected that you guys are a band's band. Absolutely. Which is kind of a nice way of saying you're never going to be big and famous. It's almost yeah. like when people would tell me that I was a comedian's yeah, comedian. Com- yeah, I was, I was just going to say, there's a certain type of person in comedy who you go, you're a comics comic. And it's like, I don't know if that's a compliment or an insult, but thanks. Yeah, I, I would guess. definitely say Riverside yeah. is definitely technical. And, yeah. you know, there's definitely moments where it's like, oh, I can't bob my head to this because they're in some weird timing. And that's really impressive. Right. But it doesn't make the 15-year-old lose his mind right. like Norma Jean does. Yeah. <laughs> right. Which I have a perfect example of, of that type of statement, right, about the comedians, comedians, or the band's band, right? So I was on a podcast earlier this week with this amazing kid from Alabama, 17 years old, and he's the one that, that put a sample of me right before the beginning of their song. Oh, right. And so uh, he's telling me, one of the reasons why I absolutely love A Breath Between Battles, which was our full length that came out in 2002 or 2003, was that his favorite types of recordings are the types where it doesn't really seem like they gave a crap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. So, I mean, and it didn't say he was much kinder than that. Yeah. But like he's saying, you know, I, the, he's like the recordings that I really, really love are the early recordings of bands where it's so raw and there's so much emotion packed into it, but it doesn't, they're not like worried about, well, does the kick drum sound perfect or the guitar sound perfect? Oh, wow. And me as a musician who's been in the studio about yeah. two dozen times, I'm just like, oh. <laughs> that, you know what's amazing about that is our last guest that we just had on, we were talking about Norm McDonald and Patrice O'Neill, and we said, they were guys who just didn't give a fuck. <laughs> right. And that was part of their charm. Yeah. And they're too... Now, again, I am a music novice, so please, I, I'm not trying to make any offense, but the idea of this is a band that knows who they want to be so well that they can go into the studio and not quote unquote give a fuck and it sounds amazing mm-hmm. i go i understand that concept because if you were to play you know if michael jackson were alive and not molesting children but if he <laughs> were alive and i was in studio with him the idea of like michael doing one take and being like done and then fucking off i'd be like that's a fucking professional right like that shit's amazing he hit all of his notes even if it's like a professional coming in and being like this sounds like crap 
right? Mm-hmm. I go, to me, the uninitiated, I look at that and I go, that's amazing that he came in and did something of that quality, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, did not give a fuck. Right. Well, here's my question. Uh, I, I didn't make it a question because it's me and I'm talking. Um, <laughs> my question is, so you have this band with some, some heat behind it. It eventually dissolves. You try this other band. And then there's this 16 years of not ever even touching stage. Right. How do you see yourself in terms of the world of music? Oh, I'm nothing. Mm-hmm. No, and I'm I, don't, really... I, don't, I don't mean that in any fame way. I mean mm-hmm. that in, in terms of being involved. That's what I'm trying to ask. So my internal turmoil about it for the last two decades has been like my younger brother, Nathan, has made a career out of it. Right. He's worked for just about every big name in pop music, country music, and rock that you can think of. He's been on tour, you know, making far better money than me for, you know, the better part of 15 years, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Where I, you know, know a lot of people. Like, I know the guys from POD. I know the guys from, you know, all these bands that have made it on MTV and are on OzFest and Warp Tour. Right. You know, get to be creative for a living. And I'm just like, man, I'm so happy for those guys. I love those guys. But... You know, my, I think what squashed it for me was there was no way that I could, you know, I've been married 29 years. Mm -hmm. I got three kids. I don't think my kids would be who they are now if I was gone all the time touring for this whole time that's passed, right? Mm -hmm. If we had decided to go full bore into it, tour full time, I mean, under oath, we, we brought under oath on their first tour, Right you know, for two weeks on a winter break, right, and they got signed right after we got signed. We brought them to Chad Johnson, right? I was like, "You have got to see these guys. They have something." Mm. And he's like, "Okay, let's take a look." Right. So they decided within that year or two, they're like, "You know what? We're going to do this full time. We're young enough. None of them are married." And they're like, "We're just going to do it." Right. And then I think Octavio was the first one out of all of them that got married. And that was probably ultimately the reason why he cut his career short because you can't spend that much time away from your wife and have things work. Right. It's extremely difficult and rare. My brother has, he and his wife have found a rhythm that works, you know? Um, But it's, it's rare. I mean, but people work in the industry and they stay married that, you know, it can can happen. But for me, I felt like I'm going to screw up and it's not reliable enough for me to budget and send back to my family for them to live without me. Mm. You know, mm. she's going to get lonely at some point. You know, she's going to miss someone holding her and cooking with her on Sunday mornings and things like that. Is the thing of you found more value in, in the life that you're building together with her mm-hmm. than you feel like you would have found just in the artistic pursuit? Right. I literally had to make a choice because, like, so Sleeping by the Riverside, when we released the full length, we were about three or four months away from going to Japan, right? Um, yeah, uh, a record store and a Japanese metal magazine in cooperation with Indianola Records were going to bring us over there. It was going to cost them roughly eight to $10,000 to bring us there, so we were not going to make door, right? Wow. If we brought merch or had merch made there, we could make money off merch, 
but everything made at the door was going to go to paying back the fact that they had to fly us over. So we were excited. You know, it was, it was great. I literally was the only person in the band that believed that it was happening. Everybody <laughs> else was like, you know, stick your finger in the wound, you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. they did not, you know, so at one point, Joe Harris is like, well, now this is getting serious. What do I want to do? And he was just, he had just applied to Liberty university. So he's like, I'm leaving sleeping by the riverside to go to college. And then uh, a couple of the other guys were like, well, if Joe's not in the band, I think it's time for me to go. I've got other musical interests anyway. So Riverside, literally, like, we did a band photo shoot. You know what's crazy? What I just heard was because we started getting opportunities, yeah, we exploded. Yep. That's wild. Yeah. And because uh, we either had to invest full time right. or have the lives that we were serious about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So for me, it was like I'm not willing to spend, you know, months at a time away from my kids and my wife because I won't have them anymore. You know, there'll be birthdays without me. There's going to be, you know, somebody would find my wife, you know, yeah. and, and give her more attention than I was able to. Sure. So, um, it, so at, literally we did a photo shoot and after the photo shoot, we broke up. <laughs> you did promotional material and then ended the band. Which is hilarious because the guy that quit knew he was going to quit. But did the photo shoot? He went anyway. through it anyway. Yeah. yeah, but we had one of our most amazing, like standing still band photos is in this attic with a single light bulb above us. It's a great photo that my wife took, and it was done in the house where all the guys from Chalice and Yeti lived. It was in the the attic down near Bayfront Hospital in St. Pete, like just a few blocks from here, actually. And um, so, f- literally, like that next week. Uh, Jason Dunn from Face Down Records calls me and he's like, Hey, buddy, how are you doing? Wow. You know, because I had just helped him do a show in Sarasota with Sinai Beach and it was us and I think Seven Star, right? And uh, he and I had kind of known each other peripherally through the hardcore scene and Cornerstone and stuff like that. And I had helped host numerous of his bands coming to St. Pete and I had been friends with the guys from Disciple like forever. And, um, those guys so, are the best. Oh, I love that band. And I've loved every project they ever came yeah, out with. so good. So um, I literally had to tell Jason Dunn because he invited. He's like, we want you to join the Face Down family. We want you to be on, you know, because they had a sub-label where they had kind of up and coming. They were kind of training bands to move on to Face Down Records. Okay. And we were getting to skip that whole process and go straight to Face Down. Wow. And all in one phone call, he presents this to me, and I have to tell him, Literally one week ago, we just broke up. Ugh. And he's like, well, can't you just get some Yeah, I mean, it's only been some, a week. Come yeah, on. Can't, can't you get some people to fill in? you have anybody left to structure it on? And I had Matt, Matt Clark, uh, which is the guy who really made this last couple of shows happen. He's really enthusiastic about the band. And uh, so um, I had to tell him no, you know, because face down is really serious about their bands and they want you to tour. Like they want you to be on a schedule of knocking it out. Mm-hmm. They want you to support the album. We would have played. We've never played beyond the Mississippi. We always did East coast stuff, right? We would have been able to play California, everything go overseas. Frequently they have their bands play in Puerto Rico, you know? Wow. Yeah. It would have been amazing. Um, but I had to make a choice. I'm just like, you know, I, I can't do that, you know? And so I had to tell Jason Dunn, no. So you know, when he, you look at yourself now, do you even see yourself as a musician, as a vocalist, as a front man, like, is that, oh, that's some shit I used to do. 
For example, you know what? Let me crystallize it. I have been able to stay in the comedy world because Rafiq decided to create a podcast and we have different comics. So today I was at a comedian's brunch, even though I haven't stood on stage and held a microphone in like five years. So I don't, I'm, I'm like in it, but I'm not actively involved. Yeah. So are you, where's your headspace as I'm a hardcore vocalist or is that even a thing? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's funny because, um, I'm an artist. Like I'm not a musician. I've, I've told the guys in my band this and they absolutely agree with me that I am just, I'm not a musician. A lot of my suggestions suck, you know, <laughs> I, but writing has always been an outlet. My life absolutely sucked from top to bottom when I was a kid, mm-hmm. you know, um, my dad left when I was 10. I had two stepdads that were weird after that. Mm-hmm. You know, we moved, me and, me and my brother counted, we moved 39 times before I was 20 years old. God. I went to 16 schools, okay? <sighs> so my life, I was always the new guy everywhere I went. So with that comes massive insecurities. Sure. You know? mm-hmm. And, and you know, a, a fear, you know, like attachment and detachment, and like mom issues. My mom was mentally ill. You mm-hmm. know, my mom had uh, um, borderline personality disorder. She was bipolar. Uh, she was agoraphobic. I, I saw. I'm sure you just saw me grin. I'm not laughing at my mom was bipolar. I had a just had a memory of something. Keep going. Remind me to tell you the memory. Sure. So, um, I want to make sure I'm staying on target here. Like mom was Luke sick. Skywalker in the trench. Um, yeah. So so through all that, you know, I was like. I have to express myself or I'm going to explode, Yeah, you know? Mm-hmm. And so art has always been my thing. You know, I was never in, you know, I had serious concussions as a little kid, mostly horse accidents. And so I couldn't really do sports because I got frequent real bad migraines, right? So skateboarding and BMX was a thing for me, you know, and writing. That was always my thing. So I was an artist, you know, I hung out with the drama club kids and the art kids you know, and the musicians, that, that was my crowd. I had friends that were in other, you know, circles, but that was my mainstay. And uh, so I, I worked on writing. You know, you were talking about perfecting and mastering a craft. I by no means consider myself a master, but to some degree I'm, you know, more accomplished than some people who don't mm-hmm. do anything with it. I had one kid who literally, like, took the lyrics from Something to Say and entered it in his college English class as a poem that he was supposed to write and got an A plus, on it. <laughs> you know, so because he knew his professor wouldn't know sleep. By the That's word, hilarious. But, you know, so, Oh, uh, by the way, Buddy Baker and Clark Kent wrote so many books that, that in my citations in college, Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Buddy Baker, who is animal man. He was the most prolific author for so many of my citations. <laughs> there's a, there's something of what you're talking about, which, not to detract from what you're saying, but there's part of me that goes, you have felt this way for so long. Do you feel, because how old are you? Not, well. 49. Okay, I was going to say your children. Do you feel that they're at the age now where you could go, all right, honey. Yeah, what if, what if face down, what if face down came knocking right. today? What would happen? Would you, would you be out there? My wife at this point has said yes. 
Wow. Because oh, wow. I think she can't stand me. Ah, <laughs> pretty it's been, sure. It's been 30 years. Pretty, she's pretty had enough. positive. Yeah. <laughs> she's heard my snoring and smelled my farts enough to be like, you know what? We need a break. Go ahead and uh, go on the road, buddy. So do you see yourself in any capacity as like just keeping your eye open for opportunities or do you just not sure. stress about it? Yeah, because, you know, you know, this particular life only happens once, you know. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I don't say no to much because, you know. But you don't feel motivated to create. You don't you're not trying to reassemble a band or assemble a new band. It's no, just, no, because I mean, we, we've agreed that like from this point, we're not really breaking up. You know, we're, we're staying a band, but we're looking for one or two opportunities to shine a year. Okay. And we'll practice because, you know, Matt lives in L.A. Right. He, he works for some movie studio transporting actors and stuff. So he's got a life out there. Um, so it would take him flying over here, practicing, getting ready for a show, and then performing it, which costs him a lot of money. I mean, from this point on, we probably just have to give everything we earn to him to make up for plane tickets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but would you ever, would you feel any motive? I, I, I guess I just asked this, but I mean, do you, aside from Riverside, like, is there any bug in your head that's going, well, I, maybe not these guys, but those guys, and we'll start a new thing called Webberman, and you know what I mean? Like, no, 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 because, you know, like, uh, uh, I'm old. You know, like I I hurt, you know, like Uh, I I got hit head on in June, you know, kid was texting and driving and hit me head on. I was going slow, but it was on a wet road. So I did not get to stop. And, you know, they had to cut me out of the car. My back is screwed. You know, my teeth are jacked up. (laughs) Like (laughs) he just showed us his teeth, everyone. Yeah. And they're like Steve Buscemi, you know, like every tooth has got his own uh, (laughs) idea where it wants to go. Yeah. I I stole that line, I think from family guy. I think it was. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like I, I can barely stand up for a half hour at a time. Like I'm having to, I'm just now signing up to drive for Lyft because I was a CNA, but I can't lift patients anymore. Yeah. I can't close right. my, my left hand anymore. Um, you know, I got issues. I'm getting old. So I got to do something. So, 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 so touring is just like. Right. You know. So in theory, for some reason, Death Row Records comes out and offers you a deal to be like. Bring us the Avengers of post-punk yeah, right? music. Right. You go, I'm sorry, that's not my role. What I would say is, can I do that in a capacity that works for me? Okay. Like, can I write you music? Can I write you lyrics? Okay. And, and you use them with an artist that fits them, you know, but it's not going to be me. You know, not with, you know, white hair, you know, like I'm getting a lot of snow up here. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I am not the most attractive guy. <laughs> I, I'm shaped like a, a sweet potato that's been shot in the ass with a BB gun. You know, like I, I you know. How does that alter the shape of the potato? <laughs> <laughs> it's got dimples, man. I got cellulite. It, it, I, well, so I find that fascinating because what you're talking about is something that you also see in comedy. Because there's a lot of guys out there where it's like, you you are a funny dude. You are never going to be famous along the, you know, normal lines of what it take, of what it means to be famous. But it's like you're going to be the best fucking writer Wanda Sykes has ever had. Yeah, right, right. Right. No one's going to talk about you. But like when people talk about the industry, someone's going to be like, "You should have fucking seen him back in the yeah, day." Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like yeah. he was just a fucking b. You know. Yeah. So here was the memory. You're talking about this 
awful childhood. And so at some point on one of our, for anyone listening, when I was like 16, I was in a little band and Adam pulled us on the road with him sometimes. And we got to do some shows, little mini tours, you know, 50 miles away. And, um, (laughs) so I don't remember why, when we were all in some kind of van in a neighborhood. And I think we were, dropping a guy off or waiting for a guy to come out of the house or I don't know, something like that. We're all just kind of sitting in the van. And then suddenly you and your brother, Nathan, both pop up. Nobody, let's say there's five guys in the band. Nobody in the, nobody in the van. Did I say band? There's five guys in the van. Nobody else in the van moves, (laughs) but both of you at the same time popped up and looked at each other and went, did you hear that? <laughs> and, then, and everybody, everybody else is like, what is it? We hear what? And I think it was you. You said that sounded like a high heel hitting the wall. <laughs> so somebody in the neighborhood was having a fight and only you two immediately recognized the sound and yep. nobody else in the car even heard it. Oh yeah. That was, hilarious. Oh yeah. I remember I was in the fifth grade. We were living in Seminole. And I, we used to go out, you know, like nine o'clock Saturday morning back in the eighties, you were on the street looking for kids to play football and hide and go seek with, yeah. you know, like who, who's out yet, you know? And, uh, so I remember one time I made a lap around the block. I gathered like one or two kids and I was heading back toward my house and my buddy, Ricky, who I eventually beat the crap out of, and he beat the crap out of me for whatever reason, oh. you know, how friends are back then. But so he's walking toward me and he's like, Hey, you don't want to go home right now. <laughs> I'm like, it's nine o'clock in the morning. What could possibly be happening? And then literally as I finished that thought, I hear, ah, wow. you know, like there's like four doors down. You can hear that crap. I'm like, that's humiliating. My, oh, my friends are warning me not to go home. <laughs> don't go into your own oh, no. home right now. Yeah. You're not safe, Adam. Come play <laughs> football with us. <laughs> it's more safe out here where we might get into a fight. <laughs> yeah. Well, you are talking about the 80s. It's more likely he's going to hit a car that belongs to somebody who owns a hockey team, and then they're going to go, you look like a strapping young man. Come and live in this mansion and be McBrewster's millionaire son. Or, you know what I had never understood about those 80s movies, and I always found this funny, is like, in the 80s, there were two types of rich douchebags. There was rich douchebag number one who was like, I'm going to descend into this child's life, pull them from this orphanage, and show them the meaning of family. Fuck the rest of the children in the orphanage. Just her. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a multi-billionaire, but fuck Kevin. Like, <laughs> has watched Annie way too many times. Yeah. Right. Or, on the flip side, there was the billionaire who was just mean and cruel for no reason. It was, these kids have a rec center, they're having fun, how dare they? They're interfering with the business. Now you're just talking about breaking to electric boogaloo. (laughs) It wasn't just breaking, and that's the reason why I feel... Oh, you said it wrong. You said it with a G on the end. Breaking. Breaking. My favorite movie is Breaking. breaking. (laughs) No. That, so I don't know. I get. I I have a weird love affair with those movies because, like, when I was a kid, my dad did have money, and to this day, when people ask me, you know, like, what was it like? I always describe my dad as having '80s bad guy money. Like, <laughs> oh. he Robert Shaheen was the kind of person who, to his credit, 
you would like he would show up and he's like, this car has a phone built into it. And you'd be like, okay, why? <laughs> like, why did you need that? Why did we need that? Why are we ignoring the fact that we have a tree, like a Christmas tree full of presents to just fly to Paris for Christmas for a reason that none of us understand? Because you were too young. Even then, my I like you talk to any of my siblings now. The even the older ones who are like seventeen, eighteen, okay. they go like, "Why?" <laughs> like no, all we had Christmas ready at home, and then your dad just came in and was like, "We're going to Paris," and we were all like, "But we have school next week," and he was like, "We're going to Paris," and you're like, "Cool." If I'm 23, <laughs> when I'm seven, I go, I know there's a transformer in that fucking box, man. Why are you taking me away from this? So how long, <laughs> how long was your dad in the CIA? So my dad, I, I don't know. I wish I'm pretty he sure there. he was like, we got to get out of town for yeah, Christmas yeah, yeah. because I'm going to get killed and everybody else. Just for Christmas, for Christmas, no. for Christmas. Although that did happen once. Uh, <laughs> so when, I, when he was alive, Robert Shaheen uh, started up a company in Honduras, which was called Maya Mining, which is like a mining firm. And he owned a whole set of cable TV stations down in South America, which got, it's so weird to say this. And again, I know you always go, why don't you talk about this on stage? My father got bought out by the Adelphia brothers just before they got caught for embezzlement. Whoa. So it was, and it was one of those things of like, we had told him for years at that point to sell out because the Adelphio brothers had kept on asking him to buy those stations in South America. And it's like, if you had just sold out sooner, you would have gotten so much more money. And we definitely would have been a part of that story. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> but he started uh, Maya Mining. He had the cable TV stations. He started like a platinum company and like a silver company. So he had 80s bad guy money. And like, to his credit, he was a charming person. But like, there were a lot of moments where you could see that 80s philosophy of like, why aren't we making money? Like, <laughs> and so as an adult, when people go, what did your dad do for a living? It's like, there's part of me that just wants to be like, I don't know, tore down rec centers, like yeah. <laughs> paved over hey, like. And there's the circle back. He had to fight enthusiastic breakdancers. <laughs> <laughs> Because there was part of it where it's like, I know you have this mining firm. I don't really know what that means as an adult because I never saw you do anything. So, like, you would just kind of show up in, like, these luxury, like, 80s vehicles and be an 80s boss. But, like, nobody knew what you did. So, like, that, and going back to what you're talking about, having to leave town, there was a point in time where... I legitimately, before the start of high school, had to move from the home that I had lived in for like six years because my dad showed up one day and he was like, hey, not to freak everybody out, but a bunch of my, uh, a bunch of criminals from Honduras are probably going to come and kill us. So, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I like, I like not to freak anyone out. Oh. <laughs> Don't, no, nobody worry about this, but. Right. And so, we're, and, and it was one of those things where we're like, that's not going to happen. And he was like, no, Juan is going to come and murder us in our home. And it was Fun. like, Oh, okay. I guess we're moving then. Like, yeah, he told me, I, I didn't hear that part of it, but he had told me that if I'm right, if I remember correctly, that basically his dad had just entrusted, like 
His dad had decided, well, I guess my job is just to collect money and let these guys run the company. And he wasn't like involved at all. Right. And it wasn't even in the co- wasn't even in the country. And it was like you speak, guys got this. And he didn't mm-hmm. speak Spanish. Oh, so so surprise, surprise! Some bad guys took it over. Yeah. And, and essentially, they took it over because they went like, "Why are we paying a white dude in the states money?" Yeah. And it was like, "Well, he owns the company." It's like, yeah, but he doesn't do anything. He's never here. Like, he just yeah. Oh my god. So again. Part of all that is as an adult when people go, what did your father do? I was like, I don't fucking know, man. <laughs> I, guess, I guess he drove around all day with his car phone talking about business, carrying a black suitcase full of blood diamonds <laughs> and like generally being outdone by kids between the ages of eight and 17. <laughs> with, with wads of cardboard that they're carrying under their arm. Right. Every once in a while, just a banana in the tailpipe of his car yeah. while they <laughs> and, skateboarded and, over. And, and your dad would always stand in the street and pump his fist and go, you kids! Right. And, that's, and that's the thing, too, though. It's like he he was charming in his own right. He was a shitty person, but, like, there is that thing of, like, if you filmed the movie of that, Robert Shaheen would be, like, come in and be like, you kids, mm. you guys like your rec center, but you know what would be great? Is rec center 2.0. Pew, 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 pew. It's rad. You know, like, and then the kids would find out, it's like, oh, he's just going to bulldoze the rec center instead of saving it. Like, yep. <laughs> well, gentlemen, we could go on all day. Clearly. It's, I think, I think we're good. It's been an excellent podcast. Adam, thank you so much. Thank you for being here. The name it's 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 live on social media, sleeping by the riverside, and they are not broken up. They will have annual shows or something. I'd like to see a new album. I'm I'm putting in my, my hat in the ring for a new album. <laughs> Let me do a guest vocal. Is, make, it, make make me pretend that I'm still part of it. There you go. And then <laughs> Is there any place else where they can catch you guys at or like Twitter uh, or Facebook or Instagram and Facebook. Yep. yep. And I'm I am a member of both of them. Okay. And uh, it's been great, and I'm tired, and we've been recording for a long time, <laughs> and I have to pee. So, so really, I have to ask you, so how about this? Well, uh, I mean, my answer to that would be like, uh, so how about this? Well, I mean, what do you think about that? I had a lot of fun. <laughs> great. <laughs> so how about this? Yeah, there it is. Uh, there it is. All right. <laughs> see you, folks. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of So How About This. If you liked that episode, please don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, or leave a review. If you really liked us, tell a friend. If you hated us, tell somebody you also hate. Tell five people that you hate about us. Find your arch enemy and convince them to listen to our podcast because you hate us so much and you want to punish them for it. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at So How About This One. That's the words So How About This, followed by the number one. If you have any questions you want answered on the show, just hit us up on Twitter and don't forget to stay tuned for new episodes.